Welcome to the pilot episode of our little podcast that dares to ask the question, is there life after death? And sometimes, do people come back? It's the podcast that explores the Earth's ethereal enigmas, its marvelous mysteries, and its hilarious hidden stories. Some of this stuff is pretty hard to believe, but we find it becomes a little easier when slightly intoxicated. That's why we always pair the experience with the perfect whiskey. So without further ado, welcome to Wild World and Whiskey. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Jason. And I'm Throckmorton Scribblemongo. Welcome to the show. (laughs) I told people your name already, so it's all messed up. (laughs) It's all good. Nobody will ever. Two different shows at the same time. Nobody (laughs) would track us. We'll figure it out. We're amateurs. So, yeah, so this is is the pilot episode. I think, you know, we're going to be doing Wild Wood and Whiskey. I think we're going to be doing strange events over the the cosmos, anything that sort of catches our interest. And then, of course, Jason's going to pair it with the perfect whiskey every week. So today's theme is going to be hauntings, but specifically hauntings of Rochester, New York. We're all in Rochester, New York, and so we wanted to pick some key elements, key stories, to talk about the hauntings of Rochester, New York. So a a little bit of history, and you guys could back me up. Um, and that's actually a book that I've been meaning to read. You guys might even have it in your libraries. Um, it's called The Haunted Rochester by Mason Winfield. Uh, it's spiritual history of the Lower Genesee region. Um, and it talks about, you know, this whole region. It does have sort of kind of an interesting history. This Rochester and the whole region has sort of this, this amazing history of amazing things happening here, religious things, uh, cultural things. Of course, we had the Finney Revival. Um, the birth of Mormonism, you know, that took place. I've been having some problems with my lower Genesee region lately. I think I should probably see a doctor about <laughs> Wait, we had to beep him out there. Um. <laughs> you to beep out, I have to see a doctor? That's the part you beeped out. A little slow on the take there, Rockmorton. <laughs> yeah, so so the birth of Mormonism, of course, Joseph Smith grew up around here. We, we're going to talk about the birth of spiritualism, um, you know, and that... So this 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 whole area sort of had these interesting and of course cultural. We had, you know, big abolitionist movements, big women's rights movements kind of happened here. So like a lot of things happened in this general area. It's actually referred to by some people as the burnt over district. Burnt over. So so that that uh, so that term I, I guess uh, is is because they were saying things were just so much on fire here that it was like it just the whole area was sort of burnt, burnt over. Wasn't that? Kind of the, I guess I didn't think of it in a literal sense. I have always thought of it as just the the spiritual energy in this place has just been exhausted because of so many ideas and movements kind of congregating in this area that it's kind of burnt over. It's used up. Everybody's yeah. tired. Everybody now. sort of had. Yeah, yeah, kind of like of that. It. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of tired out. Because <laughs> well, it's interesting because it. But well, you you're know, probably your explanation is probably the right one because that makes more sense. Well, that's that's what that's what I had read in a few places. They're saying just sort of the fire was so hot and furious for so long that everybody sort of no nobody survived. You know, nobody nobody was unaffected by it because you know not only was it you know things like of course the the second. Um, you know, um, Great Awakening, you know, the religious side, and of course Mormonism, you know, on the other side, and spiritualism, so it's sort of like three different religious camps, but culturally, too, you know, I think, you know, they were saying, I think you gave me a book a number of years ago, Jason, was like the first mall in Rochester, the first mall in America began here. 
Oh no, maybe it was it was our friend Awen. I don't remember. Well, uh, the, the whole concept that you know the, the first, first mall. yeah the first mall yeah. was built, but it wasn't just to be a place where people shopped. It was supposed to be this social experiment where cultural kind of evolved, where people just lived together in one, you know, shopping community type of thing, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of seems like I gave birth to the eighties right I there. Th- I think that's what shopping they're, like, commune literally turning marketplace mall into right now. Well, yeah, yeah we just all live and eat and. Well, I'm not sure that everyone who lives in the mall is a part of a larger community. I think sometimes malls today, there are just a lot of empty spaces. So people live there for other reasons. But but the funny thing is, you know, the guy that came up with the concept in the 1800s, I I don't have it in my research, his name, but, you know, it was this this grand social experiment that he was trying to put forward. So, but all that to say, you know. Actually, yeah, I read something about that with regard to malls, that the person whose idea it was, actually had bringing people together community in mind when he put these together yeah. and it kind of turned out to be i mean maybe not he, he disowned it at the end maybe not yeah. so much different i mean i guess if you grew up in the 90s you think about like kevin smith's mall rats and there certainly was a youth culture that sprung yeah. up around malls but i don't know that it was more disaffected i think than than anything else i think there's something kind of ironic about youth who are kind of the products of capitalism and, and consumerism congregating in a place where these things sort of reign supreme. Kind of a temple. Of trying it. to figure out their place in this world there where you're raised believing that you're no good unless you can produce something, gathering your friends in this place that's mm-hmm. the epicenter of this kind of thinking and philosophy. So, But that interesting that the next generation, they all but died out. You know, kind of seeing the progression of how cultural the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, <laughs> oh no, we're in the trouble. Start, the starting, <laughs> starting to. It's, uh, we're just we're eating too much. Um, but yeah, so I mean, but the idea that this this has been a hub. You know, Rochester is kind of off, often forgotten in a lot of the world maps, but it's really been a hub of so many things. And of course, spiritualism. You know, that's the one that kind of ties in. You know, to what we're talking about today with the haunted Rochester. Um, and so what well, that. No, go ahead. Don't forget about too. Not too far from Rochester, was uh, was it Family of God? Right, they're more central located. It was that uh, cult that, uh, well, they don't call themselves a cult, but I guess no cult call themselves a cult. Anyway, it was there. I'm trying to think of how to say it. Like everyone's married to each other, kind of a thing. Polygamy. And I think yeah. they made plates also. That might be a different community, though. No, you're thinking of um, it's the precursor to um, Oneida, to the to the right. silverware and stuff, and that is in. Um, I've been to the house, so it's a oh, it's a shaker. Is that shakers or no, no, no? That's a, a different thing entirely. I forget yeah, what they're called, the but they're the they're amazing, and yeah. you should totally go to the house. Like, actually, that would be such a fun field trip for us all to go. It's near um, Rome. So it's kind of out east, and um, the there, yeah, it was. Everybody was married to each other. Interesting. And um, but they were mostly married to the head of of the group, uh, surprisingly. But then also they did. They made um, these great bear traps. They were very. Uh, very wealthy. They wound up doing really well because they made like some of the best 
bear traps in the United States at the time. And um, they got into plates and they got into silverware. And so all this money, they were bear just- Bear traps and silverware. It's just- a hell, hell of a marketing strategy. <laughs> they, you can catch the bear and then you can entertain it. But the whole thing was, um, <laughs> one of the things about this community is every night, everybody got together in a room and people would stand up and they'd say things they hated about other people. Like it was just part of the culture that, you know, it was good for you yeah. to get that negative feedback about yourself on the regular. I feel that was, wasn't that like part of the Seinfeld episode, The Festivus? <laughs> yes. It was the airing of grievances. The airing of the grievances. Yeah. That would be, that would be good. It, it, be it good does seem like that. And, um, Oh my gosh, it was so funny. I went, because um, my dad's a real history buff, and so when I went and visited this site, I was like, oh, I, Dad, you're going to go with me. We're going to go on this tour of this weird cult house. And uh, and my dad being my dad, I was like, sure. Uh, let's, let's bring your eight-year-old stepsister. And so, you know, we get in there, and now the docent is super uncomfortable because the whole tour is about how everybody, you know, this was a really controversial thing because everybody had sex with each other all the time. Oh my goodness. And he's time to make the so, so the docent is trying to convey this at the beginning of the tour. And finally, like my stepsister is like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's like just do your tour, please. <laughs> anyway, it is super fun. Um, did you did you look it up, Jason? I saw. Yeah, I was the Children of God is who I was thinking of. That's a California thing, uh, but oh, I was mixing the two up. You're conflating. What so was? Who were these guys? What were they called? This well, o the Oneida. Oneida. Okay. I feel I like, like but I feel like that isn't quite right. I don't think that was a company name, but they're um, the name of the group. So like. All, all in all, this area is known for its social and spiritual and weird advancements, and also for making good cutlery and glass. I mean, according to Wikipedia, the Oneida community. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you can you can actually stay there. It's a bed and breakfast. And now this was eighteen hundreds. Well. Oh so yeah. So let's yeah. let's we're not talking like hippies, right, right. All having mm -hmm. sex with each other. We're talking about ago. Victorian era. Everybody has sex with everybody else. So this was, they were like way ahead of their time. This had <laughs> to do with like all this religious kind of stuff that was going on right at, at that time. And so the guy who started it, he was, I think, in Harvard Divinity School. Mm -hmm. And he started coming up with like, you know, we're perfect the way we are, which you can imagine at the time was not real well received. Right. And so they kicked him out. You know, and he started preaching his, like, we're all just perfect just the way we are um, kind of thing. And then it evolved. And then, you know, he grabbed a bunch of people and moved to this tiny town. And they bought this house. And As one does. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you're... When you're an excommunicated Harvard yeah. theologian, that's kind you of just, horny. You just kind of start your own thing. Well, and of and, course, and want to make cutlery. It all fell to pieces um, because, uh, you know, he started inviting in younger and younger women, uh, and then it became a problem, and he had to flee to oh. Canada. Oh. That's where he went. Well, yep, ran away to Canada. Canada, home of failed cult leaders. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'm Canadian. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just a little too accepting. We're just, we're just, we're just I wish I wish you guys could see. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article and like the picture of this guy, John Humphrey Noyes, who led the it's, community. Let's see him. He's just you know he's like Victorian Noise. with his tie yeah. and his beard and everything, and right. just imagine this guy getting down. Because he's you know the, he's a over gen- the members of the community. He's a gentleman in the street. I, I do say a little lower. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a the, crazy cart leader in the sheets. You know, <laughs> truly the the terrible thing, right, is these women who went, you know, like. Like, there was no going back. You know, like, the men who went to this place, right, they could, like, leave. Right. But the women couldn't, you know. And that, um, you know, just made some really sad stories for people, you know, who got caught up in it. And then, you know, their families didn't want anything to do with them anymore and things like mm-hmm. that because of the way the culture was at the time. So I mean, it, It's too bad because, if I remember correctly, he had some really good ideas about things. But this is, I think, why accountability is important, honestly, for any person who's a leader of anything. Because yeah. you, I don't know, you get used to being in charge. Well, you and know. then the, the boundaries start to fade. fade. I think it's a very human thing. Well, one of my one of my favorite uh, speakers, John Acuff, he says, you know, a leader that can't be questioned starts becoming a questionable leader. Well, you've heard about yeah. your, your hero, being accused of some things at oh, the yeah, Mennonite yeah. Church up in, um, up in Canada, uh, yeah. Bruxy, right? Bruxy, yeah, yeah. It's 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 tough. It's yeah. tough being at the top. It's hard, and you really need to have a good structure around yeah. you, or else you're going to be. And it, it's harder because when trouble. you're at the top, you don't have to have. You know, you almost have to make it for yourself. Well, right. right. It's yeah. I mean, it's kind of like somebody like Putin has to be sort of self-governing, which yeah. like. That's not going to happen. Well, you know? and, and that, that sort and of you lose your frame of reference too. Really, yeah. when you're used to people at your being at your beck and call, I think your your reality shifts, so that you don't really mm-hmm. you see things the way that you see things. You feel like this is legitimate. This is valid yeah. because there's no one at your level to people stop that. telling you the truth. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And they, or they only tell you things to get things out of well, you. You know, you you keep it's all the caustic. yes men and you get rid of the people that disagree with you and then you're only left with yes men and then yeah. It feels good until Well, if you're like isolated that. enough you sadly I think you lose yeah. the ability to know the difference. Yeah. Okay. All right, well let me let us bring us back on track cuz you know, we were talking about the area, the spiritual Influences and of course, you know, the spiritualism this is a home of spiritualism, mm-hmm. you know, with what began. There are you know, still spiritual the, churches in Rochester, yeah. Uh, well, it's really I over, have a friend it, who's it actually national, active. you know, but it began with the Fox sisters, you know, uh, what Kate and Margaret Fox back in 1848, March 31, Haydensville, New York. Um, when they claimed they started to get in contact with a murdered peddler whose body was buried somewhere in the house. Um, and, you know, spiritualism had been forming at, uh, you know, over the last few years. You know, we had, you know, Sweden, uh, MUR Swedenborg. That's what they called people who rode bikes back in that day. What's that? Peddlers. Peddlers. <laughs> he, he, he rode bikes. Bikes were still living. new back then. Yeah. It was a new thing. So, you know, there was a whole kind of theology that was opening up for spiritualism. Um, but the Fox sisters really sort of brought it back, you know, brought it out to the front. You know, where they were doing seances, and I think they were like... Yeah, they would knock. Knocking. Well, and you know what's interesting is that they made up most of it, and there is a legitimate religion. Uh, and that's interesting. They, they they recanted everything. Yeah. But that didn't stop the what what came out of that. And and it was actually the Quakers that really kind of took to it at the beginning. 
So like they, yeah, it was saying that it started through the Quake. The Quaker movement was kind of having its own reformation. You know, they were sort of getting frustrated with the way that the church's authority was going, and so they were kind of looking for alternative. And apparently, it 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 went through the Quaker community before it kind of went mainstream, and you know, it went so far as you know even reaching um, the White House. I think there's the famous you know Mary Todd Lincoln. Hoarding a, a spiritualist oh, yeah. seance, you know, she had lost her son. That's so was sad. Was trying to, to contact. So sad. You know, so you know, within that same generation, you know, even though they recanted, it kind of still took its life on its own. So you know, this this is kind of has a bit of a haunted history. This well, and you know. honestly, like Mormonism, Joseph Smith was a bit of a shyster himself, yeah. and the religion that formed up from this guy has is a legitimate religion at this point. And it's but, just... but even he, you know, he was, you know, he'd tell a story of angels visiting him and giving him, you know, sacred texts. And, you know, so there's sort of this whole spiritual aspect well, to it. I think the idea is that, I don't know, like, it's weird because you, it might lead you to say, well, all religion is a farce. But at the same time, I just always think of religion as humans attempt to build things to reach the divine. And so even if something has maybe weird origins or whatever, I think you've got people who have found this new way or a way that works for them to access faith and to have faith and to reach towards towards the divine. And so... Well, what's kind of interesting about spiritualism and Why not? And go Mormonism, for it, you know, however you can get there. <laughs> you know, their argument is that the divine is trying to reach us too. You know, like Joseph Smith, you know, had this angel's experience. But even, you know, with the Fox sisters, you know, they're philosophy was that the spirits were trying to reach us, you know, in the form of spirit guides to help us, uh, you know, they sort of believed in them being a communication between God and humanity, that the actual spirits of of dead people or ancestors could come and give us a little glimpse of God and kind of help us along the pathway, which is where we get the concept of spirit guides. Well, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that whether or not that was actually happening something else was happening that allowed people to connect to this supernatural realm in some way. And, and in this area, more so than a lot of areas, you know, which gets back to the whole burnt-out district. Did you read is, about ley lines at all in any of your reading? About, some like, people, the, the power lines of the earth or something? People say that is it's that like a theory of because, Rochester? Well, that, that's why so much stuff has happened, because it's some nexus of... Kind of an I, energy... Yeah, there's these energy lines. Have you heard of ley lines? L E Y? Yeah, it's kind of like, the like whole... they follow the, the lines like... of the earth, kind of gravitational. Yeah, lines. that sounds like one of those Facebook things I don't click on. That's what that sounds like to me. <laughs> well, you know, even Stephen King kind of well, talks we about have that the, these power energy pathways in our yeah. bodies. So why not the earth? Power center, yeah. So, uh, but you know, all that to say, you know, uh, Rochester. So our theme today is, you know, the spiritual haunting. This is still Rochester. the introduction, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, I hope you this, got a comfortable chair. This is going to be a four-hour podcast. <laughs> we, we haven't gotten together in a really long time. So I, yeah. hope, I hope you brought a snack. You know, <laughs> we could edit it down, but why? We're having so much fun. We're assuming they were too. But speaking of fun, which brings us to the next section. This is called Wild World and Whiskey. So, Jason, every week, every time we, we come, we're going to pair a whiskey with our theme, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is the whiskey we're going to be cracking open today? Well, it's already cracked open. <laughs> we, okay, we, we evidenced by the fact we won't shut we, up. <laughs> we, we might have started before the show. No, don't let her fool you. We're like this regardless. 
Also, yes. <laughs> it just makes sense. So I've got here a 12-year Canadian whiskey. It says Gibson's Finest Can- 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 Canadians. Canada. It says Canada's best-selling 12-year-old whiskey. Oh. So I'll have to take their word for it because I've not done any research otherwise. I'm sure they've they've put focus but out there. But the thing about Canadian whiskey uh-huh. is that it's still lesser known, just like everything. Whiskey is subject to what's popular. Scotch is always the big popular thing, and you're going to pay more for what's popular. Canadian whiskey hasn't really... If you go into any liquor store, you'll see Crown Royal and Black Velvet and these like two or three different brands. Hardly anything that's craft or smaller distilleries. There's a lot of stuff going on up there. I've read a few articles about it, but not much has kind of filtered down here because there's not a big just demand for it. The marketing? Or? I, it's just things get popular. Mm. I mean, when I went to Ireland in 2019, I came back and saw a bottle of 21-year Bushmills at uh, Century Liquor in Pittsburgh for like 125 bucks, mm. And I think like two or three months later, I came back and it was like 250 bucks. Some of that was taxes, but then some of it is that Irish whiskey has been increasing in popularity over the past couple of years. In just the, that the span of those couple of years, I've, I see a much wider variety of Irish whiskeys and liquor stores than I did just two years ago. So what, what makes a Canadian whiskey different than anything else you would see? It really does have a distinct um, smell and taste to it. Canadian whiskey, I've never been super fond of the nose. You really have to let it air out for a while to get a really good nose because it just smells just, like you know, rubbing alcohol to me. Pretty much what not. you could say about a regular Canadian. we got to let the mayo out for a while. <laughs> so you can get... A lot of times you get a lot of vanilla in the nose if you really get your nose in there and pay attention, but it really just has kind of more of an overwhelming, and that really put me off at first, but then I've had a couple of good, and this is actually really good. I like it. The best part about it, it's like 28, 29 bucks for a bottle. 12 years, age 12 years, you can't find anything that's aged for 12 years under 30 bucks in anything else but Canadian whiskey, really. And what's it called? It's a Gibson's Finest. Uh, rare. Mm-hmm. So, okay. well, let's 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 talk about the taste first. But first, cheers, guys. Cheers. You're gonna get to hear that. You have to boost that and post. All right. And so, so what flavors are you picking up? Tastes like my mouth burning. <laughs> I mean, like there's definitely oil. vanilla. The thing I like about Canadian whiskey is there's often a kind of a creaminess to it. I had a Pike's ten year, and it's got a, if it's got a little fruitiness in it, and you get that kind of vanilla creaminess. It actually had tastes like an orange sickle. So this doesn't necessarily taste like an orange sickle, but there's definitely plenty of vanilla. It has, a, has sweetness to it, but it's, it's sweet it and it's smooth. Away, it's right. smooth. There's there is the burn, but um, it's it's got a pleasant mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. So honestly, like for 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 the price point, this is excellent. And is this something you should let? Ew out for a while, you said, you know, let it sort of sit. I mean, sit open. I'd like to do that with all whiskey. Every whiskey that you let sit for 10 minutes before you drink it is going to be sweeter. Mm -hmm. It brings out because the alcohol 
some of the alcohol evaporates and you're left with some more of the flavors. So, I mean, this, you guys should be getting some good notes because we ate Chinese food before this. <laughs> so, does it these... pay a good with that? A Chinese food? Well, I didn't have them at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying they were here in the recording room while we're eating. So, <laughs> awesome. And, and we're continuing the topic of haunted Rochester. And uh, drinking our whiskey on Wildwood and whiskey. And we're going to go to Adrian in just a second uh, like, for the first of our stories. like so much going on in this podcast. <laughs> really? Are, are you following? Are you following this? <laughs> Music and whiskey and ghost stories. And That's right. It's like tangents. the perfect. We just need a fire and place right now and some marshmallows. And I'm glad you tagged that with fire place. <laughs> Because the creepy doll is lighting a fire in the corner. That's not a Throw a match on the middle of the table. (laughs) Somebody quote Psalms 23 and calm those dolls down. That would be awesome. Okay. So, you know, uh, there's some famous, you know, I think any city has some famous haunted areas. And, uh, you know, Rochester has, you know, more than its share. We've got um, Durant Eastman Park. You know, there's a famous white, white lady ghost there. And, of course, George Eastman House. You know, there's a lot of tales there you know george eastman i guess he committed suicide didn't he, he did, yeah he died by suicide you know and so i it's, didn't it's know that museum. yeah didn't know that? i didn't know that no oh he yeah like um no real um pr- you know indicators that this might happen and he just went up in the bathtub one day and shot himself jeez and yeah. now his house is a museum you could actually go into those I imagine you could go into the bathroom as part of the tour. Or no. That they um, that <laughs> and let me know. tell you I feel like why. A, that would attract a whole different clientele. The reason <laughs> I know could. this is because my, my godson, Lucas, who's 22 now, but when he was like seven, uh, I used to take him to the George Eastman house a lot, and he found out about this and was just super obsessed with George Eastman for like five years and was so mad he could not go in that bathroom because uh, he just really felt like that was an important part of the history and that yeah. they should have it on the tour, but they did not. They don't have the respect, I guess. And they sure didn't want to do it for, you know, a seven-year-old. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> and they revoked his membership, which and was, you know... <laughs> The kid, you gotta get it. It all turned out okay. Yeah. But <laughs> okay, so so there's that the Rochester Broadway Theater, um, League's Auditorium, of course the Main Street Armory. Yes. You know, it's a famous one. I don't know if I know about that one either. Well, I, I think it just has a long it's history like of generically being, haunted. Yeah, I think oh it's like a lot of soldiers that died. You there. remember like just two doors down from that. The oh. old dentist school they used to have that haunted cry. house. Made me cry. Oh man, that was do? scary. Like on a Halloween, they would do like yeah. those walk-through haunted houses. But it was an old dental school, and it was like dentist-themed horror. Which is, which and you we, know, even which, a nice without blood is still kind of a horror. Well, I have never like had any like I've been, you know, I've done horror things. I yeah. you know I get scared, but like I cried. He had to take me out of there. I wow. couldn't finish it. <laughs> So it, was, it wasn't just some teenagers in a mask chasing you with a chainsaw. You know, I think what it was for me, because it was so medical. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. so medical. So it kind of messes with your head. Yeah. No, they were very respectful. They don't touch you or anything. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, my gosh. But And the, the work that they did on the sets. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Like, when you first go in, the first thing you see is was this this kind of bloody dental chair. It's not a very big room. With the tools line, there's like no ghosts, no nothing in the room. It's lit, well lit, 
Yeah. <laughs> a dental chair with like bloody tools but this and is blood like in the chair. Legitimately how they did dentistry too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these weren't pretend things. Right, this right. is like actual old medical stuff. Like right. I went to um I think it's it's the Mutter or the Mutter. I don't it, the museum in Philadelphia, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like it's, it's no, a but, medical museum. Right. But they have the old is, tools and the old yeah, and the equipment. things in jars, right? Because oh people, you know, who are studying medicine, like photographs weren't a thing. So when they came across a weird whatever, liver, whole human, right. they stuck it in a jar in formaldehyde. For observation and, like and for other doctors. they carry it around and at, show it yeah. to people. <laughs> well, this museum has a bunch of those things. And like when you go, I, I mean, you've got to be a particular kind of person to take that. I, I was in the room with the jars. I had to sit on the, I was by myself. I had to sit on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to sit down. <laughs> Because it's too much, like, because that's not even, like, that's not ghosts or pretend. That's just, like, just what real people life. used I to like, do. Can you imagine, like, you know, October 31st, you're going through the house, and then, like, November 1st, you have a dentist appointment in that room. Right. And then you're just like, um, maybe, maybe not. Well, but that's, my but point is that. But they turn that place, like, into condos or something. Yeah, it's not. Well, it wasn't yeah. actually a dentist think. office through the week. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It was abandoned, and it was supposedly actually haunted. Yes. But okay. And this was right by the, the armory. So oh, yeah, like two block. doors down or three doors down, very yeah. close. I think, I think one of those ghost shows street. came, didn't they? One of the yeah. ghost shows came and did that, too, I think. Well, what? And, you know, one of the, the... But speaking of ghost shows, Adrian's got a story, because the ghost show came to the, the site to that the, you're yeah. going to be telling. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope it didn't Oh, are you segueing now? Are you this is my segue right now. So, you know, the, the other things are the University of Lodge, uh, Rochester and the Aquinas Institute. Of course, there's a psychiatric center. The Rochester Psychiatric Center has a lot of histories. <laughs> so, of course, one of the most haunted places in Rochester is the Rochester Public Library. Yeah. So, Adrian, why don't you tell us your segment today? So, allegedly, uh, so that building was built in 1934 and... It is right on the bank of the Genesee River for anybody who maybe doesn't live in the area. And uh, it's this beautiful granite building. It's it's gorgeous. Uh, very Art Deco. And it's like literally right on the canal. So yeah, I was going to say, not the a, bank. It literally, you can look through a hole in the bottom and see the river. So what that is, is a raceway. So it was for a mill um, that used to be on that site so that they made a diversion off the river to run this, I didn't know that. this mill. Yeah. And then obviously the mill went away. And actually, if you look at old pictures of downtown, like you'll, you'll recognize it. You know, there's enough um, with the aqueduct and, and things that you can really recognize the site and I've seen pictures and drawings where that um, was still there but anyway so they built the library in in 1934 why they didn't fill in the raceway is anybody's guess but that's still water does still run under the Rochester Public Library main building the Rundell building well could you like I've never actually been down the lower levels can you can you hear it you can see it sure yeah Yeah, there's a hatch you just open it and it's like water Yeah, throw a few books down there. Yeah, and I think it even has something to do with their cooling system at this point. Oh. I might just be making that up in my head, but um, you know, it's it's just this wonderful old building, and they did the. I think it was Ghost Hunters that came in uh, 2012 and did a show on the library because the library 
people who work in that library believe it to be haunted because mm. they would experience things like doors opening and closing, the elevator in the middle of the night, you know, if the cleaners were there, you know, just going up and down by itself. Like there was one cleaner who was like, I'm not cleaning in here by myself anymore, you know, uh, overnight because a lot of libraries have cleaning done overnight so it doesn't bother the patrons that kind of thing but you know so and they had recorded on their security cameras they had um recorded it no the the library itself had captured on security cameras a door opening closing where nobody was and so they submitted it to the ghost hunters and the ghost hunters decided to come I, I loved it because I know that building so well. I've been going there since I was a small child. And, um, you know, and they investigated and it did all the things. So I'll tell you that the, the library is creepy. I mean, there is a waterway under it. So there's naturally going to be some weird noises going on because there's water flowing. Um, it's well, and very- the old subway runs underneath it, too. Yeah. Um, the abandoned subway. Yeah. That, yeah. That's creepy in itself. The... Um, it also is very old. It hasn't necessarily been modernized in many ways. And also it has these closed stacks. So these are, it, you as a patron can walk into that library and you'll go up all, all these floors and you'll think like, oh, I just saw the whole library. But no, there's these kind of hidden closed stacks in between the floors that are uh, very, so you go into these, A, they're, really poorly lit have you been in them jason yeah Um, yeah we did it for the class Mm -hmm. thing that i did we got Mm. to do the tour and got Uh. to see everything see see, jason both jason and adrian are librarians yeah so you know i guess you guys could see parts of it that yeah that the public doesn't see they do tours every once in a while i've got a um, the old assistant director of the library system took a friend of mine and I kind of on the ghost tour one time right. um, and showed us all the places. You know, and these, so these closed stacks that you go in, the ceiling is very low. Yes, yes. The aisles are very yes. narrow. The, it's like metal grating on the floor. It's like uh-huh. nothing that would be built now. For whatever reason, there's like one light in the whole place. Is it like on a string and does it like so? I mean, super, it's super creepy. It kind of hangs and then rotates left and right. Slowly. Like if uh, Freddy Krueger's basement had, you know, books. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically was, what this is. Avid horticulturalist. No, little, <laughs> little known facts about Freddy Krueger. <laughs> it's like a it was quite the bibliophile. All, all he wanted to do was be left alone to read his books. There's a dripping kids. pipe over there, and the thought of a ghost always makes me kind of sad like i think of people going to heaven and that seems like (laughs) nice but like to just be stuck here watching everybody i mean (laughs) i know dull (laughs) especially like in a library i guess if you're a librarian you know and you die then that's kind of heaven so interestingly enough or you're just always at work there's two theories about who is haunting this library i don't think i've heard these yeah so the first one and i want to check the date in 1902 a uh, 26-year-old Laura Young was found in that raceway. Now, that was before the library was built, um, but she was found dead. Her, The police at the time ruled it a suicide, but her family insisted that there was some foul play. They, you know, That was never really resolved. So that's one theory about who might be haunting the library. And the other 
and this is my favorite theory, is this librarian, Frank, who had a hard deck in the library and died back in the day. I couldn't find a year <laughs> I, I think for when are... Frank died. So was Frank a librarian? Is there, is there, is like, there more? Like, not there? now. Like, he just, you know, sometime in the past, this is more sketchy. Uh, I, I really, today, I looked to try to get a year on this or even a last name for Frank. But I've heard the Frank story over and over and over and over. Many people have told me this Frank story because they always say, like, well, he died at the library. And then he just kept coming back and reshelving the books, you know? <laughs> See, to Which me, is such a sad way to spend your afterlife. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to die, you go into your reward, and your reward is hey, you just got to keep walking. Yeah. But in, Okay, but in all seriousness, yes, and this is actually kind of a part of my belief system, I think that that's the whole reason. Like, it's a sad thing, and that's because I think these are people who are either unresolved or can't quite let go of the old life. To go into the next. Well, maybe don't, so, don't quite realize what has happened to them, so they're doing well, what I they think, know to do. I, I think so. That's a part of it, but there is this degree, I think, of willful denial that happens with ghosts. Right. Um, and I think sometimes, and I've read stories about this, people have been able to sort of contact ghosts and essentially give them permission to move on. Yeah. And have that a place be haunted by a, a ghost, have someone come in and say, hey, like, it's good. You can you can move on now. And sometimes the sense is that the ghost doesn't actually realize that it's stuck in between these realms of existence, you know? So like yeah. ghost therapy, you know? They have to kind of get to a healing point. Well, isn't that like in Harry Potter, isn't that like what they say about the ghosts, the ones that are too afraid to go on kind of yeah. get Yeah, like, I don't think about ghosts as being evil per se. I think there are some malicious ghosts who have issues chips on their shoulder but they're all like humans that get stuck in between yeah in between states of consciousness as which it were. is sort of interesting about you know the uh, you were talking about the different songs and different things of ghosts but even you know the the real human alive people that get stuck you know and it's kind of saying that they're haunted yeah. You know, people that can't leave their past. And, and they kind of relive the same trauma over and over again. But as a little bit of an aside, I've also read stories about people who are still alive establishing connections with people from beyond and then having this sort of symbiotic kind of relationship. I, I read a story that fascinated me to no end um, about a person who moved into a house and every time they went into the bathroom, there was this smell of cigarette smoke. And just the person just cleaned every corner as thorough as they could, opened every door and lifted up all the things and just like the thorough cleaning could not get rid of the smell. Brought somebody in who talked to ghosts, found out that the guy who lived there before, well, they might have found this out, found this out aside from this, right. that the guy who lived there before actually had a heart attack. He was a heavy smoker, had a heart attack and died on the toilet in the bathroom brought in a ghost whisperer or whatever, and basically said, hey, could you please not smoke in the bathroom because there's a new person who lives here, and if you don't mind kind of respecting that space, we'd appreciate it. And, like, the, the smell went away. Sorry. So he just stopped smoking in the bathroom. So sometimes you need an exorcism. Sometimes you got to put up a... Yeah, not smoke sign. And, and maybe put, yeah, what are those have to do? And passive maybe, aggressive signs? Your yeah. mother doesn't live here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
I'm talking to you, <laughs> ghost. <laughs> you Wash know, your one thing, dishes. It's one thing to be, you know, denied heaven and stuck in the in the ethereal, ethereal in between like, realm. Like, hey, shut the door. Were you raised in the barn? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> I was in 1803. <laughs> yeah. It's another thing just to be rude. You don't want to be yeah. rude, you know. It's like, sorry, I didn't know. One like, of the most uh, beautiful books I read last year uh, was this book, uh, Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Klune. Have you guys heard of this T.J. Klune? He's no. a newer author. I am just in love with his work. But this Under the Whispering Door, people who have hard deaths wind up at this tea shop. And the, at the tea oh. shop is kind of where, you know, they're going through this gnashing through their denial over their death. You know, uh, and everybody spends a certain amount of time. I'll, some people just go, you know, they don't need to spend time there. But these other people do and until they're ready, yeah. you know, to ascend. And it was just a, a lovely story about that very thing, you know, that, you know, some deaths are unfair or come out of nowhere and you know, just what that might do to people's souls, you know, and, and if that does damage and how might they be able to resolve that. It's nice to think that maybe yeah, I kinda like that, That's sort of a beautiful concept. You know, you, you're dead. It was traumatic. Okay, you go to heaven, but let's just sit and have a cup of tea and talk about it for a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, like, it, okay, well, let's I mean, get you, some real answers. It so. kind of is, and it was a kind beautiful, a nice beautiful, thought. heartwarming novel. I, I just loved it. There is, I think, a oneness in any world religion, this idea of, of heaven is ultimate connection, sort of ultimate oneness, ultimate unity, and being a part of a, a bigger whole. And I think that it's not about punishment. It's just about if you, it's a resonance, you know, if you can't, if you can't match that frequency, you just, you can't be connected to that thing, almost from a scientific standpoint, if you will, you know, and so you have to sort of You've got to match, be on the level that it's match at that frequency, so then you can kind of just blend right into yeah. to the whole. And yeah, so I mean, this is we're talking about purgatory, we're talking about limbo, we're talking about all right. these things. Like th these yeah. ideas have been around for for centuries and centuries and millennia. And I'm thinking, you and I, having grown up in the evangelical church, they just sort of excised purgatory, and they were like, "This is fake. This doesn't exist." <laughs> you know, you either go to heaven or you go to hell and suffer for eternity, and just. It's like, the, where's the nuance? Where's the, I, I would, I feel like I almost believe in purgatory, but not in hell. <laughs> you know, it's so funny though, because growing up in the Catholic church, you know, as a child, I always was super worried about purgatory because I really felt like that was where I was going to end up. And I didn't think my family had it together to like pray for me and get me <laughs> out of there. I like stuck there and it's just like. <laughs> Nobody was going to light a and candle you, yeah. every week. And I was just going to be stuck in purgatory. And like purgatory, they describe it to you as nothing, you know? Yeah. And it just sounded awful to me. I'm like, maybe it would just be better to go to hell. I don't know. <laughs> at least, at least. The decisive about things that happen, you know, you're not kind of this. What is it? There was the TV show, The Good Place. Did you guys ever see that? Oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And you're either in the good place or the bad place. But if they couldn't quite make up the mind, you went to well. Like, there's the one medium, person who was in, in the this, like, place? In between place, and it was yeah. in between. It was just like it wasn't hell. You know, you could like watch movies, but they're like old VHS tapes, like <laughs> of, know, of mediocre films, mediocre <laughs> films, and that's really all you got. And you know. But I think there was a, a sort of subplot with that person who 
I can't remember if she ended up switching or she. It was like she was invited, I think, to to the good place, and she couldn't. Well, they revamped the whole system because apparently that's what it needed. I still haven't. I watched. But there's a, a point at which that show, but I haven't yeah. finished it. There's a point at which, though, I think she was very reluctant to leave the mediocre. Yeah, and I think that's because it's like it's like okay, it's not horrible. It could be worse. Could be better. And I'm thinking about you know. C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Yeah, and The Gray Town which is sort of an equivalent of a purgatory where people die who aren't quite ready for, and in his Neoplatonic mind, heaven is the ultimate form of realness. But there's this bus that goes from the gray town up to like heaven, basically, and anyone can go back and forth, but you get up to heaven, and it's like, he says, the grass is so real it hurts your feet, and if you're not ready, there are these beautiful uh, scenes of people sort of accepting and then being transformed into these beautiful creatures and sort of embracing this realer than real place and then people who can't quite hack it and then go back down to the gray town and uh, the, I, he was saying basically the longer you stay in the gray town the further you'd move away from the bus stop and the harder it was uh, to get to, to get, get back. back I wonder if there's a tea room somewhere <laughs> on the gray town that... so Frank we we, yeah. we we kind of hope yeah. wish Frank well. Yeah, you know that he will. Frank, you can move on. Find yeah. the bus and the. You can move on. Out of great you don't camp. have to shell books anymore. <laughs> you don't have to be alone. Anything else, Adrian? Or? No, not really. You know, uh, if anybody hasn't seen that Ghost Hunters episode, it is a stitch. Right. I will say my favorite part is they go through this really. And that this there's this chair in the hall, like on the second or third floor. It's still there. I still pass it, but for some reason they just got really excited about the noise it made oh, yeah. when they sat in it and they kept sitting in it. So like every time I go by that chair now, I have to just go sit, to sit in, in it. Yeah, Because like, it makes like it's one of those old library chairs, like pleather or whatever, you know. So yeah. when you sit on it, kind of like it's a, it's like this close what? to being a whoopee cushion. <laughs> Wait, do 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 it again. Make the sound again. That's great how you did it. I don't know. How did I do it? You always sound. You're more like a like a. <laughs> like a so you can just imagine old Frank there. You know, after a, an eight, a thousand years right. of shelving books, just sitting down on this. <laughs> you know. So if you're ever in the Rochester <laughs> Library, you're down in the stacks. You hear the water below. You know, the elevator door opens up. Just say no, he's hello like, to old Frank. Tell him to take it easy. Have a seat. You he's, know, I've he's heard, actually I've maybe heard move that on. The water, you know, some of these ghosty type people say that the fact that there is water, running water under the building might be a factor to why there would be supernatural activity there. And I ah. feel like somebody else said because there's granite in the building. Um, hmm. that, so, that sort of the theory of these odd conductors, even talking about yeah. the ley lines, you know, the sort of energy hubs, if you will, that might attract things. Well, back to the chair. The the truth of the matter is that he has actually talked to people on this side, and he's like, until you can guarantee me that there's a chair like this in heaven, <laughs> I'm staying right here. Because, you know, you can't bring it with you. And then he sits down. Frank, so there's Frank, Frank is like, maybe I can't bring it with me, but then I'm not going. I'm going to take this chair. He's like, look, I know that pleather doesn't belong in heaven because it's not a real <laughs> substance, but I'm sorry. This is it, just. It belongs in the tea room. This is my heart, chair. And the then heart wants what the heart God, wants. Right, and then he sits down. <laughs> <sighs> so this is this is wild wood and whiskey. Well, I'm out of whiskey, so it might just be wild right wood. Right here. Jason, you need to top me up over there. All right, right, so we heard about one of the most haunted places. Here we go. It's ASMR. 
you're, you're making <laughs> fake gulping sounds. That's so lame. I can't drink it. That Actually, fast. just we'll just take a sip. It's the natural sound. The hair is in my mouth now, I think. Where is it? It's the hair on this mic. It's the hair of the ghost that bit him. Oh. Wait, this is no, how did degenerating. That All right. So let's go into my my story. So we heard from Adrian, which... Um, we are recording this. On a, on, I'm just saying we're recording this on a Friday. I've been at work all day. I know Adrian's been at home with her fake broken foot. <laughs> Adrian broke a foot this week. <laughs> just faking, breaking. She, she wanted sympathy. Just take some time off, man. You're not gonna fake breaking your foot. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. No one think bad of you for taking some time off. I would. It, I'm very petty that way. If it was fake, I'd be kicking you. <laughs> That's right. I'm on the side of your broken foot, so I can like insult you all I want. I'm uh-huh. just out of arm's reach. So depends. she can't kick me. Depends, she can't punch um, me. You know, oh, yes, right. And her, and her crunches pain. are out of reach. Yes! The moment I've been waiting for for years. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> if only he sat on the right side. <laughs> okay, so so my segment, we, we heard about the, you know, the Library of Rochester Haunted. And I have another haunted place, you know, the University of Rochester. But specifically, the Rush Rees Library. Uh, as librarians... I hear that the, <laughs> the lower Genesee <laughs> region is haunted sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you man. might think it was after I don't shower for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> the spirits just dwell yes. upon the your spirits. They're not spirits. They are spirits in the material world. Oh my goodness! So I gotta ask like, you guys: like the material as of I... my pants, and you know. <laughs> oh wait, wait. This is... How much of this whiskey am we had? I'm not. I'm still on my. Fr- I'm not even finished with my first dram. So I gotta ask you guys. Just the way I am, as librarians, why are libraries always freakily haunted? Like in Ghostbusters, you always have that freaky librarian. What is it about your profession that just attracts the damned? <laughs> They're not damned. They're not always damned. Why do you I say mean, that? my library isn't haunted. I really. You Wait, know, we're still talking about ghosts, right? When <laughs> the when, damn good looking. I mean, when when we built our new library, I was so hopeful. You know, we'd we'd build on some burial ground or something. But you know what? He was, he was hopeful. Adrian's like, Adrian's like, come on, come on, let's come desecrate on. Indian burial site. Grave desecration. Come on. This is something like I think a lot of people don't know is that when you build something, they actually test for that. Now, oh, I like, do know. They, that's they, what that's yeah, what my that's, sister does. Yeah, that's what Maggie or did. Does. She did. Oh, because well, because of the artifacts. Right. Don't want, right. Yeah. Yeah, so and you, because you know the Portuguese movie. Yeah, so that everybody basically was well that movie. So I mean, maybe it's different in other states, but in New York State, you can't really build on haunted sites anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's just illegal. You know, you you talk about the woke culture going too far. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, I think libraries are old. Okay. So I think you know a lot of a lot of libraries are certainly Rush Reed's library is an old library. Um, I think they're quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, they're associated with kind of dark and odd dusty people. And... You know, like well, yeah, not as well lit. I mean, but also like legitimately, um, like odd people hang out in libraries. I don't mean that in a bad way, but like fringy people. 
Oh, can't sure. Can't go to the library. The rest of us just so, use the internet now. Like Kevin <laughs> says, <laughs> it attracts the damned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the damned, the lost, the whatever. You know, so That's I That's a think, part of what I love about being a librarian, by the way. Oh, me too. I like, and I talk to young librarians about this. I'm like, you know, if the part of the job where you meet odd people is something you don't like, you, you really need to go find a different job because yeah. th this is what is there is to love but so anyway just, just let me just say if if you don't belong anywhere else you belong in the library Absolutely. unless you get angry and threaten unless you, people unless you get kicked out but of even, the library but even then even then then you just don't belong when you get kicked out very rarely will we ban a person for life oh yeah you just got to take a break and if you're really if you're really a bad dude you just got to yeah, take a break like, if you're lucky chance. enough <laughs> to actually die in one like frank <laughs> like frank and you have a nice chair they could never kick you out <laughs> yeah. But no, but for real, for real, even people who are just nasty and been kicked out of every other place, I, what I was saying to my director just yesterday was the library is the last place that people get kicked out of. No, it's true. <laughs> and, and in our story, and then even then, little. never banned for life, almost never. Right. Yeah. You got to be really, really gross and nasty to get banned from a library for life. So I, I, I do think there's a little bit of that in there that, you know, plus, I mean, Right, like there's this always in American culture, particularly this distrust of intellectualism. Ha, I never even thought about that. You know, and I, I wonder if that's a piece of it that, you know, because people, when you tell people you're a librarian, like if they aren't people who already know librarians, like they react. They're going to react to you saying you're a librarian. They're like, they may immediately apologize to you for not reading for some bizarre reason. <laughs> or that they have fines the in their library cards. The book yeah, that they, they just... have never returned that has been weighing on the conscience. No, yeah, they'll see, just start telling you all these <laughs> things. And you're just like, I'm at a barbecue pan. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I know. No, it's like, it's like the doc. The, it's like, hey, doc, look at this thing on my back. You know, people are like, I, I, I'm going to return my library book. I don't. You live in a different state. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. You know, I think Stephen King has that short story called the librarian, the librarian police, which is mm -hmm. the idea that you know there's actually forces of darkness coming after you if you didn't return a book. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, hardly ever that happens, but I, I think those are are some of the. <laughs> and I, the fact we that it do, we do happens. send people for books every once in a while. You in a, but <laughs> my the quack squad. They're just waiting in an upper room, waiting for the signal. Hey, listen, if it's a book I want to read and somebody's not returning it. So if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you have an overdue book and you hear this, better run and, run and hide. Take it seriously. That's right. My new agey reason is that I think that books have energy. Like everything has, they, they, they resonate. <laughs> And you put them all in one place. Well, that, no, but for real. And it These becomes are a like nexus. stories and information, and and it's it's knowledge. It's, it, it's well, think about it. Like it's, what it's energy? It's, it's what intense. is one of the biggest tragedy of of human history? The fire at Alexandria, you know, that mm -hmm. burned down oh. all that you know that knowledge. Who knows where humanity's I would be like, if we if we had that knowledge, you know, in one place. I have no reason. To think about this, but I do sometimes think about what have we lost? And this is actually, you want to talk about far-reaching topics, Atlantis and whatnot, like 
people always be that it was like a conspiracy somehow because of all this esoteric and and uh, arcane knowledge that was held in the Alexandria Library. Yeah. This is where the proof of the reptilian overlords in Atlantis and all this stuff is all it was all in the Library of Alexandria. That's right. You Although in reality, it was probably just five. like you know, like fruit bills and things like that. <laughs> you know, well, re- records of the Nile f- flooding and. <laughs> well, all of that property values, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> it was all. It was like walls and walls of just like assess property assessments. It's like cartoons like, about we, a cat. We finally named discovered. Theodore. We've discovered the lost scrolls of Alexandria. It's like, wait, what? Exact. It was dad Tax jokes. rolls. Tax twenty. Yeah. Knock knock. Who's there? Five. Five shekels. <laughs> <laughs> three chicken eggs. We will be taxing it at the yes. rate of five bushels of grain. <laughs> yeah. But humanity may never know. <laughs> so, okay. So, speaking about great knowledge combined, the University of Rochester. So, <laughs> that's a terrible segue. for anything. That's terrible. I'm just like, let's keep this under She's 12 like, hours. Of, you asked a couple of librarians to talk about libraries. Yeah, I know, right? Come on. I mean, you got what you asked for. <laughs> I know. And that's why librarians that die in the library, they just keep living <laughs> to talk about libraries. <laughs> They're just like, Frank, tell me about the library. Sit down, son. I got a chair. <laughs> This might take a lifetime. This, this is Kevin segueing. Speaking of left-handed shoelaces, the University of Rochester Library. That's right. The University of Library. Okay. Picture this scene. It is the late 1920s, and they begin working on the Rush Reed Library, but the biggest accomplishment of this is the tower. They are building the tower above the library tower. It's stretching 150 feet. They're almost done until tragedy strikes. Dun dun dun. Oh, wait, that's the one. All right. You no, wait, what was that last one again? <laughs> tragedy strikes. <laughs> and a party broke out. <laughs> <laughs> Party at the library, West Reeds. No, okay. So the, li- the the tower's being built, and according to legend, there was a Mason's assistant working that day, a Sicilian immigrant named Pete Nicosia. And Pete Nicosia had the fateful job given to him by his foreman, James Conway, to climb the tower to work that day. And we don't know what happened at the top of that tower. Maybe Pete wasn't paying attention. Maybe Pete stepped on a penny that was left behind. Maybe Pete made some enemies. But for one reason or another, that fateful day, Pete fell 150 feet to his death at the base of the library. James Conway... I want to know what kind of pennies you're slipping on. Pennies from heaven. (laughs) Lucky pennies. Fall fall off of a tower. How does that happen? Can you imagine? I mean, because either you're on the side climbing and you fall, or like you're in the tower. He was on. How does a penny figure out into either of these? And how does a penny end up on top of a tower anyway? I'm really fixated on this penny. So what you're suggesting is somebody planted the penny to Uh, murder. That's what you're suggesting. I'm saying like, how does a penny get on top of a tower? I think you know a lot about this. Where were you that day? 
in 1929. I was a negative baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> which I was which in... doesn't mean he was just complaining. <laughs> milk. Yes, this milk was... is always gross. Was that <laughs> was... My pants are poopy again. <laughs> I really needed an attitude adjustment back in those days. Baby, <laughs> <laughs> what is that kid's problem? <laughs> oh man, this boob is weird looking. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, my mom was like, "You'll take it, and you'll eat it. <laughs> this is all you're getting. This is what's on the menu, buddy." <laughs> I have no segue yet. I'm just gonna go jump back into the Kevin's story. Like, Kevin's, Kevin's like, Kevin's like. Speaking let's, of breast milk, the University of Rochester Library. Let's, let's talk about one of the nation's preeminent universities. Man, what? Do I have to go to this school and eat Cheerios one at a time? Weird. So anyway, he no, slipped on a penny. So Pete slipped on a penny, or, or was pushed. And he fell to his death. By a penny. James Conway, the foreman, you know, he, he confirmed that it was his death. He caught out the death. He buried him. He Pete found was, the penny. Pete was dead as a doornail. Or as a penny, as it might be. Pete was dead. But sometimes they come back. Like a bad penny? <laughs> like a bad penny. <laughs> <laughs> As the case was, <laughs> <laughs> time with Pete. So maybe Pete, maybe he did. Maybe he just wasn't. You know what? He wasn't done. Just a few years later, October nineteen thirty-two, student George Mahone, Mal- Maloney met this strange guy outside of the library. Now, this strange guy had tattered clothes, and he had work overalls. He was standing, hanging around at the base of the library, looking up. I mean, that that might have been Mark walking. (laughs) (laughs) Mark is Adrian's significant other husband. (laughs) Yeah, no, he is my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Mark is Adrian's. It's kind of hard to put in words. Husband, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> oriented to her in a particular way. <laughs> Both her husband and probably our only listener. Uh, well, we probably lost him about an hour ago. But yeah, he won't be sitting through that. <laughs> we'll fast forward. Okay, so this George Maloney, he he met the stranger who looked disoriented, looking around, and he kept asking where to find James Conroy. Well, why do you want this James Conroy? Because he still owes me money. (laughs) Apparently, this ghost was sticking around because he didn't get paid. (laughs) Which, you know, of all the reasons I've heard for ghosts, that's that's a valid reason. You know? Although at this point, if he got paid what he was actually owed, he wouldn't be able to do a whole lot with it. Because of inflation, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, it's only two years later. Three years later. Oh, so he's dead. Oh, it was three years later? Yeah, three years. 1932. Yeah. And he was dead. And he was, you know, you can't take it with you, but I don't know. Well, but I mean, he was probably, like, why would he want the money back? I'm saying from his perspective. Right. So that would be how I would convince him if I saw him. That's how I'd persuade him. I'd say, "Listen, buddy, like inflation. You can't can't spend this money anymore because you're dead." Right, but he's not going to understand. He might not understand that. that, You know, (laughs) you'd appreciate the inflation argument. These three years might have just gone by in a blink. You know, but that wasn't the last time George went into. You can't persuade a ghost that they're dead. Argue about inflation with him. You're dead, and also 
Your money is useless, guy. <laughs> know, it's not worth anything anymore. And by the way, stop smoking. Okay. <laughs> so a year later, Maloney and another student, Robert Mutz, Mutzdorf, they see him again. This time he's in the same place and he's looking up at the tower. And so they come up to him because, you know, it was an odd conversation last time, but he didn't think that much of it. They come up to him and he, he, he says to them, hey, how, how tall do you think that tower is? And Maloney says, it's 100, we know, it's 150 feet from the base to the top. And the strange figure responds, 150 feet, you say, in this thick Italian accent. He said, boy, somebody could die from falling off that. Well, I guess this was such an odd encounter that, you know, that uh, George actually reported it to the librarian and said he was looking for this guy named Conroy. And I guess the librarian kind of, this wasn't her first report of somebody that matched that description. So she, she, she wrote to this Conroy guy, gave the guy the description, and Conroy apparently wrote back saying, that is the exact description of the guy I buried just a few years ago, Pete Nicosia. So a third time, Pete appeared to poor George. This is in 1934, so this is, you know, about five years after his so death. So one guy, only one guy saw him repeatedly? Well, apparently there was well, other. And this also, is sort this of the guy's story. been an undergraduate for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> he understood about not getting paid. And he, he goes to the library a lot. George. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, he just liked it. Maybe it was his penny. Who knows? Poor, poor George. But so, so this time, you know, George had heard this. The librarian had taught him the story. So he he marched right up to to the the guy and he said, "Do you know Pete Nicosia? The Muffin Man. <laughs> he lives on Joey Lane, and he works at this tower. Okay, sorry. And so he came, went up, and said, "Do you know George?" And of course, this character looked back at him and said, "Know him? I am him." Because he was the ghost. Jason's looking at me confused. I thought the ghost was Pete. Right. So George went up to this. Oh, George! Right. I thought he. I thought George someone is asked. like the kid that, whose right. parents are so no, mad. I thought he won't so graduate. rich that you know he has to. I thought that someone asked Pete if he knew George. Mm. I got. A little, I missed a piece so there. Th- this time was interesting because this time didn't happen outside the library. This happened in the in the library. <laughs> so he just said this a little. In the basement. In the basement what were they all doing good hauntings. Wait, they were looking for Frank. No, wait. That's the why one. was Pete hanging out the basement? Looking for a good chair. I guess he was in the stacks in the basement. I don't know. Of the, well, how the far library. away from the tower? Uh, underneath the tower. Oh, okay. in the basement of, of the library. Yeah, the tower. And so he, he like walks right up and he says, I, don't, I can't picture He says, it. Do you know Pete Nicosia? And he says, Know him. I am him. And, and, you know, George looked at him and said, But wait a minute. Didn't you get hurt in an accident at work? And I love this response. And apparently Pete looked at him and said, No, no, no. Why? It didn't hurt at all. Oh. And then disappeared into the wall. How many people were with George when he saw this? Well, uh, that time apparently he was by himself. The second oh, time okay. he was with okay, the other Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. Wait, wait, well, yeah. you're saying that, you know. George was hitting the absent. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. Or maybe there's just a whole lot of asbestos in those walls. <laughs> uh, but apparently also the that. story was so good, and apparently the other stories too, that the campus newspaper started printing off stories of all the, the Pete sightings they had. And apparently it took them from years, years of following this Pete sighting. And I think even today, you know, there's, there's occasionally there'll be a Pete sighting and, and they'll kind of follow this story. So is, is it true? Is it fictional? Was poor George trying to bring attention to himself? Well, I don't know. 
but I don't know. This October will mark 80 years, 90 years, from when George first met poor old Pete. So if you want to go down to the library. So when he met him or when he fell? When, no, well, I guess it was longer than that because he fell in the late 20s. And apparently Pete met him first in 1932. So if you want to go to the West Rees Library, October 31st this year. Well, I would think that a ghost would want to, I think if a ghost was going to come back, it would be on like the anniversaries of death, not the anniversary he first appeared to some random guy. I don't know. He saw a lot of George. (laughs) I I guess. I guess. I mean, (laughs) what else does Pete have to do? And I guess we're nearing the end of our 653 hour podcast. So. So, what's up? So, if you haven't donated to the uh, fundraiser yet, <laughs> we only have 12 hours of PBS <laughs> talking heads before we can return to you to the adventures of Davy and Goliath. <laughs> if you'd so like tell, more content, join our Patreon. Tell our listeners. We will give you a book bag. Yeah. Tell our listeners, what do you get with a $50 donation, Throckmorton? <laughs> for, for, for $150, Pete the Ghost will haunt you for one day. <laughs> For two hundred, you get a sit in Frank's jail. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make this pleasing. <laughs> you too will never want to leave the Central Library again. I'm gonna get one of the sound effects being Adrian just going. <laughs> it's more like that. <laughs> All right, you are listening to the podcast Wild Wood and Whiskey. Wild Wood and Whiskey. Three words I can't pronounce. Apparently. <laughs> it's good that you came up with the title that's you right. can't pronounce. Adrian was supposed to say it for me. All right, guys, well, that's that's kind of the wrapping up of the show. This was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks. Was. This was Kevin's idea to put this together, and he motivated me to get the playlist together. He was kind of the driving force behind this. And if nothing else, it was just really fun to have a good conversation with good friends. Talk about weird things, drink some weird whiskey, have some weird times. I mean, we're probably just going to talk about more weird things when we turn off the mics. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the people listening can't hear in. If nothing else. They can't be with us all the time. But what you can do is you can tune in for the next Wacky Weird episode. The $2,000 level (laughs) is the live cam. (laughs) Oh, no. That we'll send you a book bag and a video of everything we're doing. And then you can see Jason and Adrian's wild, crazy arm movements. <laughs> that would be worthwhile. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Wild Wood and Whiskey. We will see you next time on another crazy episode. See you then. <laughs>